Get to Old Navy now because this week only there's a new red hot deal every single day. Plus up to 50% off store wide. That's up to 50% off your favorite Old Navy styles. Also get $10 off your next purchase when you buy online and pick up in store. So hurry in and get today's wow worthy fashion pieces at a price you won't believe. Only at Old Navy. Valid 712 to 19. Select styles only. $10 off valid in store only. One time use. Excludes clearance, gift card, register lane items, jewelry. Hey ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Think It Ain't Illegal Yet. I'm your host, St. Clinton. On this show, we'll be playing some poetry, spoken words. And other things about political and social issues going on around the world, both past, present, and future, which will hopefully make you think. Thank you very kindly, my friends. Thank you very kindly, my friends. Thank you very kindly, my friends. I'm delighted to see each of you here tonight. I want to thank God once more for allowing me to be here with you. tonight with a greater readiness. Let us stand with a greater determination. Let us move on. In these powerful days, these days of challenge, from only when it is dark enough can you see the stars. We want to be free. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. Let us stand with a greater determination. 
publishing the abuses uh, uh, by that organisation. There was a, a serious attempt uh, to get up uh, a war uh, with Iran. Real bastards are, are people who have power and abuse their power to uh, afflict people who are weaker than they are. It's the general trend uh, for accountability uh, of the US military is worrying. People who commit war crimes or similarly abusive actions, they have the enemy propaganda victories. Fortunately, there are still good people in the US government. Some of those good people uh, want to see things go the other way. They're willing to step forward uh, to give us material. Real bastards are, are people who have power and abuse their power to uh, afflict people who are weaker than they are. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know the night that we as a people will get to the promised land. to sing it, we shall overcome. 
No, before this victory's won, some will have to get thrown in jail some more, but we shall overcome. Don't worry about us. Before the victory's won, some of us will lose jobs, but we shall overcome. Before the victory's won, even some will have to face physical death. Physical death is the price that some must pay to free their children from a permanent psychological death. Then nothing shall be more redemptive. We shall overcome. Before the victory's won, some will be misunderstood and called bad names and dismissed as rabble-rousers and agitators. But we shall overcome. And I'll tell you why. We shall overcome because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. We shall overcome because Carlisle is right. No lie can live forever. We shall overcome because William Cullen Bryant is right. Truth crushed the earth will rise again. We shall overcome because James Russell Lowell is right. Truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways the future. Behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch above his own. We shall overcome because the Bible is right. You we shall overcome deep in my heart. I do believe we shall overcome. And with this faith, we will go out and adjourn the councils of despair and bring new light into the dark chambers of pessimism. And we will be able to rise from the fatigue of despair to the buoyancy of hope. And this will be a great America. We will be the participants in making it so. And so as I leave you this evening, I say, walk together, children. Don't you get weary. There's a great camp meeting. enemies are not Islamic radicals, but those who sold us the perverted ideology of free market, capitalism, and globalization. They have dynamited the foundations of our society, in the 17th century, these speculators would have been hung. Today they run the government and consume billions in taxpayer subsidies. These corporate forces will never permit real reform. It would mean their extinction. 
oil and gas industry will never allow us to achieve energy independence. That would devastate their profits. Real reform would wipe out tens of billions of dollars in weapons contracts. It would cripple the financial health of a host of private contractors from Lockheed Martin to Boeing to Northrop Grumman, Raytheon, Halliburton, Blackwater, now renamed Z. The cost of our empire of illusion is not being paid for by corporate titans. being paid for on the streets of our inner cities, in former manufacturing towns, and in depressed rural enclaves. Human beings are not commodities. They are not goods. Their misery is not the regrettable price of globalization and the free market. grieve and suffer and feel despair. They raise children and struggle to maintain communities. And the growing class divide is not grasped, despite the glibness of many in the media, by complicated sets of statistics, lines on a graph, the chart stocks, or the absurd utopian faith in unregulated globalization and complicated trade deals. It is understood in the eyes of a man or woman who is no longer making enough money to live with dignity and hope. The growing desperation across the United States is unleashing not simply a recession, we have been in a recession for some time now, but a depression unlike anything we have seen since the 1930s. It has provided a pool of broken people willing to work for low wages and to do without unions or benefits. Meanwhile, manipulate statistics and data to foster illusions of growth and prosperity to mask the damage. They refuse to admit, at least to us, that they have lost control, since to lose control is to concede failure. They contribute instead to the collective denial of reality by insisting that another multi-billion dollar bailout or government loan will prop up the shattered edifice. The well-paid television pundits and news celebrities, the economists and the banking and financial sector leaders see the world from inside the comfort of the corporate box and they are loyal to the corporate state. And there are whole sections of the United States that now resemble the developing world. 
There's been a Weimarization of the American working class, and the assault on the middle class is underway. Anything that can be put on software, from finance to architecture to engineering, can and is being outsourced to workers in countries such as India or China, who accept pay a fraction of that of their Western counterparts and work without benefits. The media has evolved into a class of courtiers. We are captivated by the hollow stagecraft of political theater as we are ruthlessly stripped of power. The role of courtiers is to parrot official propaganda. Courtiers do not defy the elite or question the structure of the corporate state. Corporations, in return, employ them and promote them as celebrities or elected officials. Courtiers and face powder deceive us in the name of journalism. Courtiers and our political parties promise to look out for our interests and then pass bill after bill to further corporate fraud and abuse. the smiley faces of a corporate state that has hijacked the government. And when these corporations make their iron demands, these courtiers drop to their knees. Healthcare industry, like the defense industry, profits from death. It is legally permitted to hold sick children hostage while their families frantically bankrupt themselves to save their son or daughter. Any discussion of health care should acknowledge the fact that our for-profit health care system is the problem and must be destroyed. It will never happen because the industry's money and lobbyists drive the discussion and the courtiers in Washington and on the television screens dance to the tune they play. America is devolving into a third world nation and if we do not immediately halt our elite's rapacious looting of the public treasury and our bizarre state socialism for corporations, we will be left with trillions in debts which can never be repaid and widespread human misery, which we will be helpless to ameliorate. Our anemic democracy will be replaced with a robust national police state. The elite will withdraw into heavily guarded, gated communities where they will have access to security, goods, and services that cannot be afforded by the rest of us. Tens of millions of people, brutally controlled, will live in perpetual poverty, a state of neo-feudalism. Now that we have a state run by and on behalf of corporations, we must 
expect inevitable, and I fear terrifying consequences. As the pressure mounts, as this despair and desperation reaches into larger and larger segments of the populace, the mechanisms of corporate and government control are being bolstered to prevent civil unrest and instability. If a dictator ever took charge in this country, the technological capacity that the intelligence community has given the government could enable it to impose total tyranny. And there would be no way to fight back because the most careful effort to combine together in resistance to the government, no matter how privately it was done, is within the reach of the government to know. A society that no longer recognizes that nature and human life have a sacred dimension, an intrinsic value beyond monetary value, commits collective suicide. of proto-fascist misfits from Christian demagogues to loudmouth talk show hosts who we naively dismiss as buffoons will find a following with promises of revenge and moral renewal. There are powerful corporate entities fearful of losing their influence and wealth arrayed against us. These anti-democratic forces, which will make an alliance with the radical Christian right and other extremists, will use fear, chaos, the hatred for the ruling elites, and the specter of left-wing dissent and terrorism to impose draconian controls to extinguish our democracy. And while they do it, they will be waving the American flag chanting patriotic slogans, promising law and order, and clutching the Christian cross. The failure by progressives to offer a democratic, socialist alternative, the only alternative remaining that can save our open society, to openly make war on corporate power, to continue to back the Democratic Party, will mean there will be in the eyes of many embittered and struggling working and middle class Americans no alternative but a perverted Christian fascism. Demagogues and charlatans of the radical Christian right who offer a belief in magic, miracles, and the fiction of a utopian Christian nation. We must become as militant as those who are seeking our enslavement. If we fight back, we have a chance. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, this is Sane Clinton. I just wanted to drop in real quick and say thank you for listening to this show. Whether you listen through iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Plus, 
Player FM, or any other way, I just want to say thank you. Sending an armada. Very powerful. Very powerful. Very, 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 very powerful. We have submarines. Very powerful. Far more powerful. Than the aircraft carrier. Very, 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 very powerful. That I can tell you. And we have. That I can tell you. Very, very, very powerful. Military people on Earth. Very powerful. An armada. Very powerful. Very powerful. That I can tell you. Submarines, very, very, very powerful. Very, very, very powerful. Very, 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 very powerful. That I can tell you. And we have, and I can tell you. The best military people on Earth. Very, very, very powerful. We are sending very, 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 very powerful people. An armada. Submarines. Very, very, very powerful. We have the best military people on Earth. On Earth. On Earth. On Earth. We have submarines. Very powerful. Submarines, very powerful, very, very, very powerful. Submarines, very powerful, very, very, very powerful. An armada, very powerful, very, very, very powerful. Submarines. Good evening. Dr. Martin Luther King, the apostle of nonviolence in the civil rights movement, 
has been shot to death in Memphis, Tennessee. Police have issued an all-points bulletin for a well-dressed young white man seen running from the scene. Officers also reportedly chased and fired on a radio-equipped car containing two white men. Dr. King was standing on the balcony of a second-floor hotel room tonight when, according to a companion, a shot was fired from across the street. In the friend's words, the bullet exploded in his face. Police, who have been keeping a close watch over the Nobel Peace Prize winner because of Memphis' turbulent racial situation, were on the scene almost immediately. They rushed the 39-year-old Negro leader to a hospital where he died of a bullet wound in the neck. Police said they found a high-powered hunting rifle about a block from the hotel, but it was not immediately identified as the murder weapon. Mayor Henry Loeb has reinstated the dusk-to-dawn curfew he imposed on the city last week when a march led by Dr. King erupted in violence. Governor Buford Ellington has called out 4,000 National Guardsmen. Police report that the murder has touched off sporadic acts of violence in a Negro section of the city. In a nationwide television address, President Johnson expressed the nation's shock. America is shocked and saddened by the brutal slaying tonight of Dr. Martin Luther King. I ask every citizen to reject the blind violence that has struck Dr. King, who lived by nonviolence. Dr. King had returned to Memphis only yesterday, determined to prove that he could lead a peaceful mass march in support of striking sanitation workers, most of whom are Negroes. Dr. King had this to say last night about the situation in Memphis. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over there. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. that day in history when the Allied armies joined in battle to reclaim this continent to liberty. For four long years, much of Europe had been under a terrible shadow. Free nations had fallen. Jews cried out in the camps. Millions cried out for liberation. Europe was enslaved and the world prayed for its rescue. Here in Normandy, the rescue began. Here, the Allies stood and fought against tyranny in a giant undertaking unparalleled in human history. We stand on a lonely, windswept point on the northern shore of France. The air is soft, but 40 years ago at this moment, the air was dense with smoke and the cries of men, and the air was filled with the crack of rifle fire and the roar of cannon. At dawn on the morning of the 6th of June, 1944, 
225 rangers jumped off the British landing craft and ran to the bottom of these cliffs. Their mission was one of the most difficult and daring of the invasion, to climb these sheer and desolate cliffs and take out the enemy guns. The Allies had been told that some of the mightiest of these guns were here, and they would be trained on the beaches to stop the Allied advance. The Rangers looked up and saw the enemy soldiers, the edge of the cliffs, shooting down at them with machine guns and throwing grenades. And the American Rangers began to climb. They shot rope ladders over the face of these cliffs and began to pull themselves up. When one Ranger fell, another would take his place. When one rope was cut, a Ranger would grab another and begin his climb again. They climbed, shot back, and held their footing. Soon, one by one, the rangers pulled themselves over the top, and in seizing the firm land at the top of these cliffs, they began to seize back the continent of Europe. 225 came here. After two days of fighting, only 90 could still bear arms. And behind me is a memorial that symbolizes the ranger daggers that were thrust into the top of these cliffs. And before me are the men who put them there. These are the boys of Puente Hope. These are the men who took the cliffs. These are the champions who helped free a continent. And these are the heroes who helped end a war. Gentlemen, I look at you and I think of the words of Stephen Spender's poem. You were men who in your, quote, lives fought for life and lift, left the vivid air signed with your honor. I think I know what you may be thinking right now, thinking we were just part of a bigger effort. Everyone was brave that day. Well, everyone was. Do you remember the story of Bill Millen of the 51st Highlanders? Forty years ago today, British troops were pinned down near a bridge waiting desperately for help. Suddenly they heard the sound of bagpipes, and some thought they were dreaming. Well, they weren't. They looked up and saw Bill Millen with his bagpipes leading the reinforcements and ignoring the smack of the bullets into the ground around him. Lord Lovett was with him, Lord Lovett of Scotland, who calmly announced when he got to the bridge, sorry, I'm a few minutes late, as if he'd been delayed by a traffic jam when in truth he'd just come from the bloody fighting on Sword Beach, which he and his men had just taken. There was the impossible valor of the Poles who threw themselves between the enemy and the rest of Europe as the invasion took hold, and the unsurpassed courage of the Canadians who had already seen the horrors of war on this coast. They knew what awaited them there, but they would not be deterred. And once they hit Juneau Beach, they never looked back. All of these men were part of a roll call of honor with names that spoke of a pride as bright as the colors they bore. The Royal Winnipeg Rifles, Poland's 24th Lancers, the Royal Scots Fusiliers, the Screaming Eagles, the Yeomen of England's Armored Divisions, the Forces of Free France, the Coast Guard's Matchbox Fleet, and you, the American Rangers. Forty summers have passed since the battle that you fought here. You were young the day you took these cliffs. Some of you were hardly more than boys with the deepest joys of life before you. Yet you risked 
everything here. Why? Why did you do it? Well, what impelled you to put aside the instinct for self-preservation and risk your lives to take these cliffs? What inspired all the men of the armies that met here? We look at you and somehow we know the answer. It was faith and belief. It was loyalty and love. The men of Normandy had faith that what they were doing was right, faith that they fought for all humanity, faith that a just God would grant them mercy on this beachhead or on the next. It was the deep knowledge, and pray God we have not lost it, that there is a profound moral difference between the use of force for liberation and the use of force for conquest. You were here to liberate, not to conquer, and so you and those others did not doubt your cause, and you were right not to doubt. You all knew that some things are worth dying for. One's country is worth dying for, and democracy is worth dying for because it's the most deeply honorable form of government ever devised by man. All of you loved liberty. All of you were willing to fight tyranny. And you knew the people of your countries were behind you. The Americans who fought here that morning knew word of the invasion was spreading through the darkness back home. They fought or felt in their hearts, though they couldn't know in fact, that in Georgia, they were filling the churches at 4 a.m. In Kansas, they were kneeling on their porches and praying. And in Philadelphia, they were ringing the Liberty Bell. Something else helped the men of D-Day, their rock-hard belief that Providence would have a great hand in the events that would unfold here, that God was an ally in this great cause. And so the night before the invasion, when Colonel Wolverton asked his parachute troops to kneel with him in prayer, he told them, do not bow your heads, but look up so you can see God and ask his blessing in what we are about to do. Also that night, General Matthew Ridgway on his cot, listening in the darkness for the promise God made to Joshua, I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. These are the things that impelled them. These are the things that shaped the unity of the Allies. When the war was over, there were lives to be rebuilt and governments to be returned to the people. There were nations to be reborn. Above all, there was a new peace to be assured. These were huge and daunting tasks, but the Allies summoned strength from the faith, belief, loyalty, and love of those who fell here. They rebuilt a new Europe together. There was first a great reconciliation among those who had been enemies, all of whom had suffered so greatly. The United States did its part, creating the Marshall Plan to help rebuild our allies and our former enemies. The Marshall Plan led to the Atlantic Alliance, a great alliance that serves to this day as our shield for freedom, for prosperity, and for peace. In spite of our great efforts and successes, not all that followed the end of the war was happier planned. Some liberated countries were lost. The great sadness of this loss echoes down to our own time in the streets of Warsaw, Prague, and East Berlin. 
The Soviet troops that came to the center of this continent did not leave when peace came. They're still there, uninvited, unwanted, unyielding, almost 40 years after the war. Because of this, Allied forces still stand on this continent. Today, as 40 years ago, our armies are here for only one purpose, to protect and defend democracy. The only territories we hold are memorials like this one and graveyards where our heroes rest. We in America have learned bitter lessons from two world wars. It is better to be here ready to protect the peace than to take blind shelter across the sea, rushing to respond only after freedom is lost. We've learned that isolationism never was and never will be an acceptable response to tyrannical governments with an expansionist intent. But we try always to be prepared for peace, prepared to deter aggression, prepared to negotiate the reduction of arms, and yes, prepared to reach out again in the spirit of reconciliation. In truth, there is no reconciliation we would welcome more than a reconciliation with the Soviet Union, so together we can listen, lessen the risks of war now and forever. It's fitting to remember here the great losses also suffered by the Russian people during World War II. Twenty million perished, a terrible price that testifies to all the world the necessity of ending war. I tell you from my heart that we in the United States do not want war. We want to wipe from the face of the earth the terrible weapons that man now has in his hands. And I tell you, we are ready to seize that beachhead. We look for some sign from the Soviet Union that they are willing to move forward, that they share our desire and love for peace, and that they will give up the ways of conquest. There must be a changing there that will allow us to turn our hope into action. We will pray forever that someday that changing will come. But for now, particularly today, it is good and fitting to renew our commitment to each other, to our freedom, and to the alliance that protects it. We're bound today by what bound us 40 years ago, the same loyalties, traditions, and beliefs. We're bound by reality. The strength of America's allies is vital to the United States, and the American security guarantee is essential to the continued freedom of Europe's democracies. We were with you then, we are with you now. Your hopes are our hopes, and your destiny is our destiny. Here in this place, where the West held together, let us make a vow to our dead. Let us show them by our actions that we understand what they died for. Let our actions say to them the words for which Matthew Ridgway listened, I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Strengthened by their courage, heartened by their value, and borne by their memory, let us continue to stand for the ideals for which they lived and died. Thank you very much, and God bless you all. Let us rise up tonight with a greater readiness. Let us stand with a greater determination. And let us move on in these 
powerful days, these days of challenge, to make America what it ought to be. We have an opportunity to make America a better nation. Why, why must beauty die? Always cast aside, left alone and lonely. I'm watching love decay, flash and fade away. I know you know, so show me. sitting in at lunchtime, and I knew that as they were sitting in, they were really standing up for the best in the American dream, taking the whole nation back to those great wells of democracy, which were dug deep by the founding fathers in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. Darkness bleed from every broken street. The answer is whatever. Slow as the winter comes, leaves me nearly numb, aching for forever. have been around here in 1962. Negroes in all Bennett, Georgia decided to straighten their backs up. And whenever men and women straighten their backs up, they are going somewhere because a man can't ride your back unless it is bent. Now it doesn't matter now. It really doesn't matter what happens now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. 
Because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord.
Gulf War looked at in the light of what we now know was a war for profit, a war for oil, and a war for the control of the area. The international arms trade is a greater threat to world peace than the AIDS epidemic or the drugs trade because it's supported by governments. It props up dictators, the Shah, Batista, Marcos, Papadoc, all these people, Pinochet, props them up and they get the weapons to crush their own people in the interests of keeping down their own people so that the multinationals can make a profit from the, from the superpowers that sell them the weapons. Because they bought the weapons, they get into trouble with the IMF, and the IMF comes along and says, cut your social budgets, because you've got to pay the debt on the arms you bought to keep down your own people. And of course, the waste of skill. Some of the most brilliant scientists and engineers in the world are working on methods of death instead of the means of life. This Gulf War looked at in the light of what we now know was a war for profit, a war for oil, and a war for the control of the area. Billions and billions and billions of pounds are wasted on weapons that could have saved lives. And a heavy responsibility rests upon everybody, and I know every government to some extent has done, who promotes the international arms trade. Because there have been 134 wars since 1945. Millions have died in them. Using weapons that were supplied by the superpowers very often. And millions more died because they were denied the resources that were wasted in the arms program itself. This Gulf War looked at in the light of what we now know was a war for profit, a war for oil and a war for the control of the area. Central question is, who is allowed to buy the weapons? Who controls it? Who knows what happens? Who tells the truth? Westminster system is broken and our economy is rigged. Both are run in the interests of the few. Things can and must be different. Hey, ladies and gentlemen. This is Saint Quentin, and we've come to the end of Think It Ain't Illegal. Yeah.
be back soon with a new episode. And hopefully, this episode has made you think and want to make a difference in this world. Now I'm going to turn on for the love of poetry and spoken word. And think. Get to Old Navy now, because this week only, there's a new Red Hot deal every single day. Plus, up to 50% off store-wide. That's up to 50% off your favorite Old Navy styles. Also, get $10 off your next purchase when you buy online and pick up in-store. So hurry in and get today's wow-worthy fashion pieces at a price you won't believe. Only at Old Navy. Valid 712 to 19, select styles only. $10 off valid in-store only. One-time use excludes clearance, gift card, register lane items, jewelry. Get to Old Navy now, because this week only, there's a new Red Hot deal every single day. Plus, up to 50% off store-wide. That's up to 50% off your favorite Old Navy styles. Also, get $10 off your next purchase when you buy online and pick up in-store. So hurry in and get today's wow-worthy fashion pieces at a price you won't believe. Only at Old Navy. Valid 712 to 19, select styles only. $10 off valid in-store only. One-time use. Excludes clearance, gift card, register lane items, jewelry.